0: And whether you know it or not, maybe you came and you thought your greatest need is to have some bills paid, or someone healed who's sick with a disease, or someone to like you who doesn't like you, or to be closer to people you love, or whatever. You thought your greatest need is something else. I'm telling you right now, the greatest need in your life is grace from God. Because without grace, we face our Creator one day, we stand before Him one day, and we stand before him to be judged based on our performance. And Paul already told us how that goes. We blew it. None of us stand before Him based on our performance and have it work out well. It works out terribly. We wind up lost forever. There is none righteous, no, not one. But with grace, we have the invitation to forgiveness, the invitation to salvation, and we stand before our Creator based on Christ's performance In our place. And if you don't know what that means, we're going to talk about that today. Christ's performance in our place. And his performance was perfect. And so if I get judged on his performance, I'm good. I don't deserve to be judged on his performance, but that's why there's grace in the message of Easter. And so, we're not actually going to go to the story of Easter. I read that kind of to start us off. We're going to do something weird because we're weird. But we're going to go, because we've been in Psalms, we're going to go to a Psalm. And we're going to look at Psalm 22 today. Um, As I thought about Psalm 22, and I I titled this message, uh, Not an Accident or Not a Mistake, you know, accidents happen all the time in our life. They are a reflection that we don't know what's coming and we are not perfectly able to navigate our lives. And so they can surprise you, and just because they surprise you doesn't mean they can't have a dramatic effect on your life. Accidents or mistakes, they can change your life. You can spend years dealing with an accident or a mistake. I was reminded about how little we know about what's coming, even this week. You would think we, we had our first uh, grandchild this week. Kylie had, uh, had her first uh, boy, and, and so we are thrilled to death about that. Yeah, we're pretty excited. But... We, you know, you would think, you understand that having a child is unpredictable, right? You kind of know that. And we kind of knew it. You kind of know it's unpredictable. It's like, when is this going to happen? When is this going to come or whatever? And so it seemed like it was getting delayed and delayed. And so eventually the doctor said, well, there's going to be this date uh, on on Thursday. We will take you in and we will induce you uh, to have the baby on Thursday if it doesn't happen before then. And nothing was happening. So we went from that sense of like, I have no idea what's coming to all right, Thursday's the day, you know, and we just do that. We love, we love certainty. We love a plan. We love to kind of know what's coming. So we kind of just all gravitated towards that. Guess what? He, was, he wasn't born Thursday. All of a sudden, we, you know, uh, 2.30 in the morning, we get a phone call. Uh, Kylie's water broke and we're on our way to the hospital, right? Now, if we had known, we would have gone to bed earlier, but we didn't. <laughs> So we were, you know, 20 hours before we got back home, and and it was a wonderful, amazing, awesome day, but it was not what we expected because we don't know what's coming. So sometimes when we look at this story, the story of Easter and the resurrection, the resurrection is inseparably tied to the crucifixion, to what happened on Friday, because without the death of Christ, there is no resurrection. And so when people look at this whole weekend and the whole idea, one of the questions that I don't know if it gets asked, but I think it's a really big question, is why did this happen? Was this an accident? If Jesus is God's son, why did God let his son get killed? Did he not see it coming? Did he not understand what was happening? Was he powerless to stop it? Did it surprise him? And I think I can show you that it wasn't. So I'm going to ask you, To see if I can prove to you or show you, convince you that this was not a mistake, this was not an accident. And if I can convince you of that, then I'm going to ask you to consider what does that mean for you? It's not just a, you know, theoretical discussion. I'm saying if this wasn't an accident, if this was on purpose, that has implications. About who God is, about what's going on in this world, about what matters and what doesn't. So, we're gonna to go to Psalm 22. Now, it's a longer Psalm, and we are not gonna read every verse. I'm gonna just pick out a few verses here to read. But on this Easter Sunday, I'm trying to get us to understand the implications of what we read here in Psalm 22. David lived about a thousand years before Jesus showed up. A thousand years. So, think in your mind to a thousand years ago, what? 1,018. Like, who knows what was going on in 1,018? I don't know. It was the Dark Ages. So whatever, right? We don't have any idea. It's, it's way back when. David writes this a 1,000 years before Jesus arrives on the scene. So that has some strength to it when we look at what he says. And, and the Dead Sea Scrolls that we found in the 40s, uh, and even the Septuagint, that are other versions of the Bible, other copies of the Bible from ancient times, we actually see that we have today copies of this that are hundreds of years in our hands. They were written hundreds of years before Jesus showed up. So this was not, no matter how much you twist it, this was not written after Jesus died. This was written hundreds or thousand years before Jesus died. And so it is a psalm of David, it is a psalm that David wrote about his life, and he kind of alternates in the psalm between a prayer for help and a prayer for trust, but we're going to take a look and hopefully look down the road at what it does for the, for the story and the cause of Jesus. So uh, read with me the first eight verses of this psalm, David's reflection on feeling abandoned by God. So if you've ever felt abandoned by God, if you've ever felt alone in this life, David feels you, and here he is, he can, you can kind of sing along to this song in your soul. He says in verse one, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried out and were saved. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by people, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Without a doubt, this is a personal journey of David. And David feels like the world has caved in on him. Like the God in whom he trusts is far, far away, invisible and not present. Ever felt like that? Ever felt like you really, really needed God to show up? You really needed God's power, God's work in your life? And yet as much as you prayed, as much as you cried out, nothing happened. It felt like God wasn't listening and maybe didn't exist or didn't care enough to respond. That's the song that David writes here. In Psalm 22. And so it's, it's this song about his thoughts and his feelings. And like I said, it alternates between the, the, the despair and then this faith and this hope. It's a great pattern if you're walking through dark times to follow along with David. But there's something weird about this psalm. And we'll, we'll see it more as we read the next section. It is that some of this stuff applies to David's life, but some of it doesn't. Some of it doesn't fit. Some of the things he writes are metaphorical. It feels like this. But they're not actually true. But here's the catch. They are literally true in the story of Jesus dying on the cross. And so what we call this is a messianic psalm. Meaning a psalm that tells us about the Messiah, about the Christ. And in the New Testament, this psalm is quoted 24 times. Over and over again in the New Testament, the New Testament writers, the apostles, the eyewitnesses of Jesus' death and resurrection, look back to Psalm 22, and they pull passages from Psalm 22 into the New Testament. In the Old Testament, there's another chapter that is really, really strong on this, and we're not going to look at it today, but Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53 is so strong on the the suffering and death of Christ that the the Jewish people banned, or the, the rabbis banned their people from reading that chapter Because it felt like it was, you know, kind of prejudice towards Jesus being the Messiah. And since they didn't believe that that was true, they just didn't read it. They were like, it's true and everything, but it just is not helpful for us right now. It's going to cause us to think Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, it's that literal. And Isaiah was written 700 years before Christ. So we're talking about in the Old Testament, God uses people to give these very specific descriptions about the death that Jesus would die. A description about a crucifixion, a crucifixion is something they'd never seen, something they'd never heard of, something that historically hadn't happened and wouldn't happen for hundreds of years after they lived and died. And so let me show you a few of these things that, according to eyewitnesses, were part of Jesus' story, all right? Verse 1 is a pretty familiar thing. If you've read the Easter story, if you were with us on Good Friday, you heard this read aloud. Jesus quotes verse one of Psalm 22 on the cross, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from me? Why are you so far from my cries of anguish? "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" Uh, the passage that you could look to, if you want to see that for yourself, is Matthew chapter 27, verse 46. Then, in Matthew chapter 27, the verses before that, verses 39 to 43, we read this. Now, in in Psalm 22, we hear about how everyone scorns me and I'm despised by the people and they mock me and hurl insults. They say, he trusts in the Lord, let the Lord rescue him, let the Lord deliver him since he delights in him. In Matthew chapter 27, here's what we read. So those who passed by Jesus on the cross hurled insults at him shaking their heads and saying, you are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days. Save yourself. Come down from the cross if you are the son of God. In the same way, chief priests and teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now if he wants. For he said, I am the son of God. It's almost literally the same words. And these people aren't in on it. Trust me. They're not in on it. The people who are insulting Jesus are trying to use it to undermine his credibility among people. They hang him on a cross specifically, not just to kill him, but to wipe out his power, his influence, his authority in this world. And yet, they wind up fulfilling the prophecy of Psalm 22, almost word for word. A few verses later on, if we go down to verses 14-14, to 18. Let me read this to you. It says this. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax; it is melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd; my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me, a pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes among them and cast lots For my garment. Now, you hear this, my mouth is dried up, and you deliver me to the dust, and you can feel this anguish of David. He's trying in some metaphorical way to describe how it feels, how abandoned he feels. But I don't know if we read, as we read that, if you picked up on some of the things. Verse 16, it talks about, they pierced my hands and my feet. Now, this is really interesting because. The method of crucifixion where you could be like, well, Jesus is going to die on a cross. First of all, nobody thought the Messiah was going to die. The Messiah was going to come and rescue them, not die. That's what they they thought, first of all. Second of all, nobody thought about a crucifixion as a death because there was no such thing as a crucifixion. The earliest records we have of crucifixion are from after 500 B.C. or hundreds of years after David writes this. So the idea of dying by your hands and your feet being pierced was foreign to David. And yet he writes these words that almost are a graphic description of exactly how Jesus died. Verse 17, it talks about all my bones are showing. They're on display. People stare and gloat over me. This is not only a thing about how uh, you know, beaten he was and, and bones are showing because his skin is literally ripped off of him, but it's a statement about that he is stripped naked. That's what the traditional humiliating way to hang someone on a cross was. The, the idea of a cross was, if you can see what we did to this person, you don't want to do what this person did. That was the idea of the cross. It's why they hung people on a cross and left them outside of the city for days and weeks. You don't want to do what this person did. And so stripping them completely naked was part of that humiliation. And yet it goes hand in hand with the next verse where it talks about, they divided my garments and cast lots. They divided uh, my clothes and cast lots for my garment. The idea there is that when Jesus was on the cross, he being removed of his clothes, his clothes went somewhere. Well, guess where they went? They went to the soldiers. And guess what they did? Well, let me just, an eyewitness, John is sitting at the foot of the cross. Let's just read his account. John 19, verses 23 and 24, it says this. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shares. they divide my clothes, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. This garment, the undergarment, was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said one to the other. Let's decide by lot. Will get it. Isn't that amazing? That is a stunning fulfillment of a prophecy written a thousand years before that they will both divide his garments and gamble for it. Well, how do you do both? Well, you divide the outer garment by ripping it up into four pieces. You cast lots to find out who will get the seamless undergarment. And so here we have, as we read Psalm 22, this prophecy predicting exactly how jesus would die thousands of years before he did it by the way it's not just the old testament prophets if you care to pick up the bible sometime and if you need a copy we have some copies out here on the shelf read through the gospels and what you will find is time and time again jesus saying i'm gonna die i'm gonna die the chief priests the leaders they're gonna put me to death i'm gonna die and then on the third day i'm gonna rise again so what does this all mean here's what it means This was no accident. And if it wasn't an accident, that means it was done on purpose. That means that Jesus chose to do this. Why in the world, if Jesus is God, come in human flesh, why would God choose this? Would you? If you had the ability to write your own story, to make it look like whatever you want it to look like, would you write a story where you are humiliated and tortured and put to death in front of the town? To die in misery, hanging on a cross, would you? God could write any story He wants. This is the story He wrote. Why did He write this story? Nobody made Him. It wasn't like it was, you know, oh man, I guess I have to. He chose to do this. It's not a story about some some noble arc of tragedy where, where Jesus has powerful teaching and then burns out and people reject the truth and that's the end of the story. It is a story, and I'm telling you today, it is a story of love and power and hope. It is a story of a love that you can't even get your head around that reaches all the way from heaven down here to earth, right into this room, right into your seat where you sit today. It is a love that will chase you down and will lay itself down and take all of your pain and all of your brokenness. It is a love that seeks to find those who are lost. It is a love that seeks to heal those who are hurt. And if you fall into any of those categories, what I'm telling you today is the same power that caused God to send his son to die on the cross and the same power that raised him from the dead is the same power that's offered to your life today. Part of the problem for us as believers is we don't live like we have any power. We live like it's all on us. We live like we've got to make it happen. But part of the power if you're lost today is you think your life is yours. You think you've got to fix it. You think you've got to get it all cleaned up and all right. Listen, you will. I can tell you how that story ends. You'll never get it cleaned up because you don't have the power. Jesus has the power and he offers it to you. He took your place on the cross. He paid the price for every failure, every mistake, every regret. He took all your guilt. He took all your shame so that it could be washed away by the power of the blood of Jesus for you. Like any gift, he paid for it and he offers it to you for free. You don't owe anything for it. That means you don't have to clean up to come get it. It means you don't have to make yourself all right. It means just like today when you came to church, you just came for who you were. You may have changed how you looked on the outside, but you're just you. And guess what? God said, that's fine. Because I took all of your guilt, I took all of your shame, I took all of your punishment, and I put it on Jesus. And I'm offering you the gift of forgiveness. It is your choice whether you receive it or reject it. So Jesus died for you on purpose, Jesus meant to die. He had all power, and he chose to give it up. If you had all power, I don't think you would give it up. He chose to die for you because he loves you. But his death wasn't the end. It was never going to be the end. His death was never going to be the end of the story because when Jesus finished paying, he was going back to heaven to be with the Father. And David wrote about this in Psalm 16. He talks about in Psalm 16, verse 10, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful ones see decay. In other words, as you read the psalm in Psalm 16, the idea is even though your righteous one will suffer and die, you won't leave him dead. The whole story is found in the Old Testament. And what it says to us is this, that God chose to do this. God chose to send his son to die, to be raised again, because we need forgiveness and we need new life. And so the cross provides the ability for our sins to be washed clean. And the resurrection provides the opportunity for us to be born again as children of God, to be made new from the inside out. And every single person here is eligible. Every single person here is invited. And if you've received it, it's the greatest thing that ever happened to you, period. There's nothing that compares. And if you haven't, it's the greatest offer you've ever heard. And I hope that you will receive it today. Now, if I've convinced you that this was no accident, then let me ask you, what does that mean for your life? How can you take that truth and apply it to here and now? Not to someday when I die and I stand before my, right here, right now. If God chose to do that, that has implications. And I'm going to invite you, not just this morning as we kind of wrap this up, but through this week, think about what it means about God, about Jesus, about you, about your worth, your value, that God chose to die for you. And that Jesus didn't stay dead, he rose again. Let me just give you a couple of the things that maybe could be ways that you apply this. It it was good enough news on its own that that Jesus died and rose again and we can be saved. But the fact that it was a plan, the fact that it was on purpose, digs us a little deeper. It tells us something like this. First of all, God knows our need before we do. Before you were even born, he sent Jesus to die for you. So when you go to God, just like David goes to God here and cries out, listen, don't ever believe that God doesn't already know your need. He does. He loves to hear from you. He loves for you to feel like you are free to pour out to him, but he already knows your need before you even were born. And since this plan was put in place by God Almighty, he already has a plan to meet your need. How about that? So I'm not wondering, crossing my fingers, hoping if I've been good enough, hoping if I've performed well enough, hoping if I've given enough good things to God, hoping if I've given enough money in the offering. I'm confident if I've received Jesus Christ that He knows my need and He has my need prepared to be met by His power, by the riches of His grace. Because God is so good and God is so kind. So when I feel abandoned by God, I remind myself, like David, no, you took my place. You chose to take my place. You knew I had a need before I was even born, and you met my need. You didn't need my help. You offered it to me for free. God knows our needs before we do. Another thing it can mean with God, nothing is hopeless. Whatever your story looks like this morning, however dark it has turned, however bad it has been in your life, whatever has been done to you, whatever scars you carry, let me say this, God was able to take the most wicked act ever done in all of history, the rejection, torture, and execution of His Son, and turn it into something that accomplished the most loving and gracious act ever. In all of history. Now, if he can do that with a crucifixion, there is nothing that is hopeless. You, in your head, and me, in my heart, oftentimes, like, this is too dark, this is too bad, this is too far gone. Nothing can be done. I don't see any way out. This can never get better. This can never be okay. And I tell people a lot in my office, in the counseling and prayer time, and, and just conversation listen, I believe with God anything is possible. And we all do this. Yeah, that's true, that's true. But what does our heart do? Not this. (laughs) Believers, it is never hopeless. And if you don't know Christ, what I'm telling you is, this is the amazing thing about the God who chose to die for you. You are never beyond His strength, beyond His power, beyond the hope that comes from the power of the resurrection. If death itself could not stop God, What could stop him in your life? The setup to that resurrection is a place we're pretty familiar with. Helpless, dark, lost, hopeless. Friday was a bad day. Saturday was the depths of despair. So much so that Sunday was unbelievable. Because the impossible was done. So today, you might be in that Friday, Saturday moment where it looks like there's no way. You might be overwhelmed. You might be broken beyond all hope of healing. You might be sitting there struggling. You might be sitting there in your bitterness. You might be sitting there feeling isolated and alone. What I'm saying to you today is Jesus' death and resurrection was meant to show you that you have hope no matter what. That God can overcome the grave and that His heart is loving enough to step out of heaven for you, so your life may look every bit as dark as Good Friday, but God has the power and the love to bring resurrection to your life today. Another thing no one's beyond saving. No one's beyond saving. I mean, God, the infinite, all-knowing, all-powerful, righteous God, judge, planned this. Do you think he didn't plan it well enough to include everybody? Do you think he didn't plan it so that it would cover anyone who wanted to get saved? Like, oh man, I wish I had just done a little more. God planned this. And his plan was perfect. And so the invitations for everyone to come. I mean, there's a point on the cross where Jesus is saying to, the, to God about the people who are nailing him to the cross. Father, forgive them. If he's willing to forgive them, do you think he's willing to forgive you? Everyone is invited. And really, at the end of this, it's you can trust God with anything. Whatever your life story, whatever's happening, whatever you're facing, whatever's in front of you, if God planned the cross, it looked like and felt like an accident, a tragedy to the disciples, but it was no surprise to God that I'm telling you God has a plan for you too. And that plan is something you can trust, it's something good, it's something that God can do in your life. So if today you feel like you're chained, you are enslaved and you can't break free, the power that raised Jesus from the dead can set you free free if you are living under the weight of guilt the resurrection and the death of christ can bring forgiveness and and clean soul to you you feel like you're just so weak and you're just so worn out and you can't go on god can pour strength into your life beyond any description, you feel like you're just lost and you're in darkness and you don't know which way to go and you can't see your way clear, Jesus will bring light to your life. You can trust him with anything. So the invitation today is for you to come and embrace the plan from God himself to save you. Not just to save you to make your life better, to help you pay your bills or be a better person, to save you all the way down to the very depths of your soul. The invitation is, if you do not know the forgiveness of God, come and receive it today. By faith. In a few moments, I'm going to close this service and as I pray, I'm going to invite you to pray. You can pray right where you are. And you could say, God, I need that forgiveness. I need to receive the gift that Jesus paid for on the cross. So I'm going to give you that opportunity. And beyond that, The invitation is to take the reality that Jesus' death was no accident and look at how that applies to our life. We're going to close with a song today that kind of revels in that fact and in that opportunity. And so as as this song is sung, I'm inviting you to consider and reflect. We don't have a lot of time for reflection in our lives today because we're so busy. But I'm inviting you right here, right now, to reflect on the fact that God is a God of grace. Faithful and loving, kind and good, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And he does not hold back any good thing from those who trust him. So while you're walking through dark paths, you can trust his plan. Because his plan was for salvation, a plan that required a price that is unimaginable to us to send his son to die for us. But if his plan is good in that way, I guarantee his plan is good for your life. So as this song is sung, I invite you to consider that this was not a mistake and think about what that means about your heavenly father, about your savior, about you, about the relationships you have with people, about how the resurrection and the plan for crucifixion applies to your life this day. Amen. We're going to close in a word of prayer here. And as I do, if you would like to receive the gift of salvation, I would invite you as I pray for you to pray. And you just reach out to the Lord in your heart. You don't have to even say it out loud. Just say, I need that gift today. If you need help with that after the service, I'm going to be up here at the front. Come up. I'd love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. would love to help you today. Let's close in a word of prayer. Let's stand together. We'll be on our way. Let's pray. Father, this morning, It has been a wonderful privilege to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Father, to consider again all that it means for our lives. It is not just some historical fact that uh, we celebrate because it was a, a neat thing. It is a living and breathing event that continues to have effects in my life, in our lives this day. And Father, I pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, bring us alive in the power of Jesus Christ. That if there are those here today who don't know you, that they would reach out in this moment and receive you as their Savior, accepting you and the gift of eternal life through Jesus' death on the cross. Father, as your children, I pray that we would celebrate this Easter with full hearts, that we would be reminded that you chose to do this for us. Father, teach us all that that means about who you are and about what this means. We ask that you be with us now as we go, in the name of Jesus. Amen.